As you know, we are doing our best to make applications to the various chapters, and today we're into chapter 30 through the 3 of the book of Genesis. Interesting chapter. Just like the two threes look like twins, we're going to see that in chapter 33, uh, Jacob and Esau are going to meet back up. The twins are going to come back together in chapter 33. That's how we remember the theme of 33. The two threes look like twins. The twins are getting back together. Does it turn out well? It does. But some of that probably has to do with the way Jacob approaches his older brother. Who remember, years prior, Esau wanted to kill him. He just wanted to kill his little brother because he'd been so mean and ornery and, and uh, he wanted to kill his little brother. And so as his little brother now comes home years later, Jacob's a little intimidated. He doesn't know what to think. And that's what we're going to deal with today. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 33, here are five questions for those of you who are part of the School of Biblical Studies, or if you're just studying at home on your own, you'll notice I've got passages for you to look up on your own, so you can just be in the book, <clears throat> be in the Bible, and study for yourself. I'm convinced that that's what God wants us to do with His Holy Word. Got him? Alright, here is the topic for today. From Jacob to Israel, a much different man. <clears throat> I want to remind you what has taken place many chapters earlier. You might recall that Jacob and his mom, they've been conniving, and uh, they have uh, tried to work things out so that life would be better for Jacob, because mama likes Jacob more than she likes Esau. You remember all of that. And in their conniving spirit, they do some things that is, aren't nice. It's true Esau should have been more responsible earlier on, but uh, when he's Sells, you know, but the last one was really dirty when uh, when they actually deceived the father and got the the blessing and all of those kind of it just really really dirty and so he's got to leave camp and so Jacob's gone and he ran away to Uncle Laban's house and he's been gone for years all right and by the way there, there's no indication in scripture that I've ever found that Jacob ever gets to see his mama again but your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel for you have striven with God and with men, and prevailed. You might recall that the night before what's happening in our context, chapter 33, Jacob's going to wrestle with God. And in that process, in his stubborn nature, he refuses to let go, and uh, he asks for a blessing, and he gets a blessing, it's, his name is changed. And his name's going to be changed now from Jacob to Israel. Israel means to strive with God, or God has striven. And so the name is going to be changed now. And the reason I bring that up is to suggest to you that Jacob has changed. He has gone from a mama's boy, a sissy, if you will, who is taking advantage of everybody, feels like he's entitled, doesn't want to work for himself, that kind of thing. That kind of a spirit, he's grown up. Forced to go off by himself, and he has grown up. And now he's coming home, and he's got two wives, and they've both got a servant each, and a bunch of kids, and, and he's coming home, but he's a different guy. He has matured greatly. And that leads us into our context then for this morning. And Jacob lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men. So Jacob's intimidated. He knew that when he left last left his brother, his brother wanted to kill him. Now his brother's showing up with 400 men. He's got to be shaking in his boots, thinking to himself, my brother's still mad. So he divided his children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the servants' children ahead. Then Leah's children comes next. Then Rachel and Joseph come after that. 
he himself went before them, bowing to himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I want to make three applications from this part of the passage with regards to how you and I should approach God. Because, you know, we've wronged God much, much worse than anything that Jacob ever did to Esau. But we have wronged God. And I know that if you're like I am, especially after I've said something, done something that I shouldn't have done, and I'm in repentance mode, and I'm sorry, but I, I know I'm guilty, and I'm approaching God, there's sometimes it's an intimidating thing. How should we approach God in order to have the right impact upon His heart, sharing with Him what we're really feeling in our own? Well, I'm glad you asked. Applications for approaching God. First thing that I think is important is that we remember our priorities. It's very important that when we approach God, we get our priorities straight. It's why I think it's very hypocritical for individuals who will do what they want during the week and show up on Sunday as if that makes up for it. Their priorities aren't where they need to be. It's one thing for you to not want to get caught. It's another thing for you to want to live a different life because you know you hurt the person. And that's the problem with so many Christians today is that we're not really in repentance mode. We're in I hate it that I got caught mode. We need to make sure that we get our priorities straight. Now let's come back and notice our, our example here with regards to Jacob. Jacob's going to put his servants' children in front, then Leah's children, then Rachel. Now, you can argue with that as to whether or not that's appropriate. You know, he should have loved them all the same, etc., etc. But I want to remind you how this all played out. Remember, he never intended to get Leah. He only wanted Rachel. But he shows, you know, that night he shows up and there, there she is, etc., etc. So he's going to also get Rachel. I get that. But that has always been a point of conflict. However, it doesn't seem like Jacob ever made a mystery out of who he preferred. And that is Rachel. And so Rachel is his most treasured. And he and Rachel and Joseph, because that's his most treasured son, you know, that's going to get going to be a problem spot later on, too, with the coat of many colors and all that kind of thing. But these are most treasured. And as far, this is what he really expected family to look like. This is where he wanted it to end up. Okay, But instead, he got all these other, you know, it's happening. And I suppose he was a good caregiver for them as well. But he really cared for Rachel and Joseph. So whatever you do with that, whether you think that's right or wrong, the one thing that I think is important for us to recognize is that he was working his priorities. As he leaves camp many years ago, it seemed like his top priority was himself or his mama. That's all he cared about. Mama said, do this. Mama said, do that. Or I, if I do this, I'm going to be, you know, it was all about him. But now it seems that as he's returning to camp, he's got other priorities in mind. Whatever you do with the story of Jacob, I think the application for you and I with, approach, with, a, with approaching God is very significant. And that is, don't just pray meaningless prayers. Certainly don't pray, as some churches do, over and over repetitive prayers, thinking that somehow in your repeating of certain lines that that's going to get God's attention. God wants your heart, not your verbiage. And so make sure that your priorities are straight, that you're actually saying what's in your heart. And so prioritize repentance. If you're approaching God. Number two. Notice in our story that Jacob is going to bow himself down to the ground seven times as he approaches his brother. 
Now, I don't know exactly how this happened, but it sounds like every step he took, he, he bowed himself to the ground. And maybe he went all the way to the ground, as some people bow. I don't know. But the point is, he was trying to humble himself before his brother, and there's good reason. Remember, his brother, uh, where is it? There it is. His brother's showing up with 400 men. <laughs> and so he's trying to appease his brother before he ever gets to his brother. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so seven times he bows himself before his brother. Second application for approaching God is we need to have humility, true humility. And by the way, this kind of applies to point number one. If you're sorry you got caught, but have no plans to change, you're not humble. That's not humility at all. Humility demands that an individual is truly wanting to be subservient to the one that is more powerful than them, in this case, the one that they have hurt. So Jacob's going to bow seven times in an attempt to communicate to his older brother, I am sorry. Please accept me. Same thing is true for you and I. When we bow before God, now you and I don't tend to think of bowing in the same way, although I do. Maybe you do as well. When I'm in an intense moment with God, there are times that I go in beside my bed and I actually get on my knees. You ever done that? One of my favorite times, and this is not really a bowing in the same kind of a scenario situation, but one of my favorite, every night I go put up the chickens. And as I go out, put up the chickens in my backyard, now we got seven acres here, and so we can see the stars and all that kind of thing. And I look up and into the heavens and I see God, you know, and my heart bows as I look up. So there's different ways of bowing. I get that. But the major concept with regards to bowing is humility. And I'll tell you, as I stand there before the heavens and the stars, and I look up, and the sun or the moon is over here, and you know, the sun has already set long ago, and I'm thinking to myself, God is so awesome. My heart is bowing humbly before him. And there have been many a times as I've stood in the backyard and said, God, I'm sorry. Please, I humbly ask of you, forgive me. Seven is probably an, a, a, a reference to completeness. Uh, that's a number that has stuck around with the Jews since the time God created the world. Remember, six days he creates. What's he doing on the seventh day? He rests. That's not doesn't mean God's wore out. It means that he's done. And so he, it puts the cherry on top. It's complete. It's finished. And seven means completeness to the Jew. And no doubt it meant completeness to Jacob. Seven times I want to give complete humility to my elder brother, just as you and I ought to give complete humility to God. And then number three, and this is the climactic part of the passage, because so it's just so cool. Amnesty. Priority, humility, amnesty. Expect amnesty from God, because that's what he wants to give you, just as Esau evidently wanted to give his little brother. I suspect Esau, as he sees his brother bowing seven times, in the previous days, he's received all these gifts from his brother. I suspect Esau's thinking, to himself, oh man, I, I, I hate it that he feels that way. I don't know that he felt that way, but when you read verse 4, you begin to see what's in the heart of Esau. But Esau, even though his brother's bowing seven times as he approaches, Esau's running to meet him. Is it possible? I can't prove this. But is it possible that he's running to get him? Don't be doing that. There's no need for that. You're my brother. You don't have to bow before me. Is that why he's running? At least part of the... I don't know. 
certainly I would think part of the reason he's running is that he just wants to get to his brother so that he can embrace him. Fall on his neck. Just hold him for a moment. My brother. And to kiss him. The big part of this passage for me, though, is right here. And they wept. They wept. Now, they're, they're weeping for two different reasons. Jacob is weeping because he's been accepted. He's been forgiven. He's gotten amnesty. Esau is weeping because he got his brother back. The, re the relationship has been restored. And that's the way it is with God as well. Somebody wrote a book, I don't remember, I think it does, Would God Run or Does God Run, something like that. But it's all about the, the, uh, the prodigal son and how the father ran to meet his son when the prodigal son finally made his way home. Yes, God runs. Yes, God desires us. I mean, if, if the good shepherd leaves the 99 and goes out into the storm to, to make sure that he finds that one lost sheep, you know that that is indicative of, of a heart that wants to run, to go and pursue. That's the way God is with us. And so just as you got the illustration here of Jacob and Esau, I'm the Jacob. And I come to God getting my priorities straight in total humility, asking for amnesty. And God, recognizing that I have my heart right, my priorities are where they need to be, I am showing humility to him. He says, I wanted to give you amnesty in the first place. And God runs, and he wraps us up, and he says, I am so thankful that you're home. Genesis 33, beautiful passage. If you were, however, to skip to the end of Genesis chapter 33, you would find this passage. It's really cool. There, the spot where he and Esau had come back together. The twins have finally made up. At this particular point, Esau's gone off. He's left. So Jacob and his crew are the only ones remaining. It says there, he, that is Jacob, erected an altar and called it El Eloi Israel. God, the God of Israel. Jacob remembers God. So if you didn't think that Genesis 33 was really about God, I encourage you to read verse 20. That's the climax. He says, my God has done all of this. I return you to our theme. From Jacob to Israel. When Jacob leaves out, he's full of himself. When Jacob returns, he's full of God. Some of us need to take the same journey. All of us, to some degree, need to take the same journey, don't we? But let me ask of you that when you're in the midst of that journey, prioritize. Where is it? Prioritize. Be humble. And know that God wants to give you amnesty. He wants you to come home. He's begging you to come home. Accept the forgiveness that he offers. Here are the five questions that we tried to cover during that sermon period. Thank you guys for being with me. I certainly appreciate you so very much. Sonny Chow saying, be there. Matthew 16, 26.